Today on Stick to Football, it is going to be an excellent one. We have Javon Kinlaw. We have Maurice Claret. It's interview season, apparently. It's also tailgate season. We are about to head out. Alabama, LSU, 8 a.m. on the quad. Listen, the president... ESPN, Kanye, Justin Timberlake. We've had to deal with some obstacles to get our tailgate set up this week, but Connor Mello, damn it, we're going to be there, and it's going to be a great time. Oh, yeah, just come stop by. I mean, I'm probably going to be causing some problems. Come join me. You can <laughs> bail great. me out of jail, uh, or maybe it'd be nice to have somebody to keep me out of that trouble. Oh, it's going to be awesome. I mean, this will probably be our biggest tailgate of the year. Just the the turnout, the environment, uh, the celebrity guests. And that's only half a joke because we are going to have some awesome guests there. So we really we are, are excited to see them. We're going to have food at this tailgate. I don't know what else you could yeah. ask for. Nothing. We I covered every base with the logistics on this one. We have food being delivered. We have drinks that will be there. Uh, Adam Kramer coming by. Jim Nagy. We're going to have Jacob Hester. We're going to have Landon Collins. And, oh, yeah, these three idiots that you're watching on <laughs> YouTube right now. But, boys, let's get right into the show because I'm excited. It's a big one. Uh, news surrounding the game. Tua and Grant Delpit are both going to play in this one. Ankle injuries for each player, but they're expected to play. We knew this was going to happen. There's no way you're keeping Tua and Grant Delpit, arguably the two best players on these teams, definitely two leaders. You're not keeping them out of this game. Yeah, and these teams don't have to report injuries quite like the NFL does. So even if they're going to see limited snaps, you're just saying you're you're going to play. Uh, maybe... I don't know what to expect from Tua in this ankle injury, but he's definitely going to roll out there Stop as a starter. pissing on my hopes, Mello. He's, he's going to be play. a starter. He'll probably play. I wonder if that ankle is healthy and ready. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. All eyes are going to be on that ankle. Now, we know that the Alabama offensive line is obviously very good, but this is the kind of game where you look at somebody like Caleb on Chason or even Grant Delpit blitzing. I mean, this could they need Tua in this game. This is the one you need him for. So we're going to find out real quickly. And that, it almost makes it harder per, to predict when you're wondering how healthy some of the star players are in this one. It does. And we're going to pick those games in segment one here in just a couple of minutes. So uh, it was tough for me to, to decide who to go with. One thing that actually did factor into that, I, I don't know if you guys saw this. It kind of flew under the radar. But linebacker Michael Divinity Jr. took a leave of absence from the LSU team this week. He posted on Instagram and actually said he – might come back. He plans to graduate in December, but he's saying it's a personal issue. He's taking time away from the team. This is huge because not only, I mean, playing linebacker against Alabama, you need those guys, but he leads the team in sacks as well. So losing Divinity Jr., that honestly like kind of factored heavily in my decision on who to pick. I guess I'm spoiler alert there, but Divinity being out, Grant Delpit maybe being limited or slowed. Those are big concerns in the middle of the defense for LSU, which if you have Najee Harris that you're going to pound into that defense 20 times a game, that's a little concerning. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about that matchup. The one that I'm really interested in, though, is going to be on the outside. And I think that Divinity being out is going to kind of determine how that goes because he's such a great pass rusher. I still can't get over how great this Alabama receiving core is and that we get to see them against one of the best secondaries in the entire nation. These three corners are exceptional, too. So still a lot of talent, even though Divinity is going to be out. Yeah, that's the biggest matchup for me, without a doubt. Are we going to see Fulton and Stingley follow anyone specifically? Is this going to be the game where you know Fulton gets to make a statement against Judy? Can anyone in the world run with Henry Ruggs? There are so no. many questions, and, and I think somebody you brought up earlier, Matt, that could be the deciding factor in the entire game is Najee Harris. 
Yeah, Najee's going to have a big one in this. And then just the how did the quarterbacks play? There's so many factors to this game, and we are going to break that down. But the injuries and then Michael Divinity, week of Alabama taking a leave of absence from the team is is enormous. That's a lot of adversity to overcome. Jacob Phillips, the other linebacker, big, big shoes to fill this week. Florida State defensive lineman Marvin Wilson out for the year with a hand injury. This is notable not because Florida State's good, but because Marvin Wilson is. He is a player I have projected as a first-rounder at this time. We'll, we'll see if he comes out. He is a junior, so he could go back to school. He's probably waiting to see who the new head coach is going to be there. But I think it's always notable when a guy like this gets hurt late in the year. You never know if it's one of those things where, okay, he could come back, but it's not worth it for a team that is looking terrible has a head coaching change coming, and if he's going to go to the NFL anyway, it doesn't make any sense to come back and, and risk another injury. Yeah, he, and he has been balling out this year. I mean, him and Cam Akers have both been playing exceptionally well, even though their team hasn't found success. It, it sucks for him, but it might be a blessing in disguise. Just go get healthy, get that hand right, and then if you want to test the NFL waters, go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's the biggest thing right now is you got to shut it down. There's no reason... To, and I'm sure there, there are coaches there that would like him to play through a lot of things. But for his best interest right now, this was the right move, whether he stays or goes. Yeah, I'm a, a, such a huge fan of his. Speaking of Florida State, though, guys, job watch. Bob Stoops gets connected to this job early in the week. And, and people are reporting out there on Twitter like that it's a done deal. Uh, it's not. Bob Stoops came out and was like, I'm not even in consideration for this job. As we're sitting here Thursday afternoon, it sounds like Memphis head coach Mike Norville is the favorite as of now, but this has been a a bit wild. I wonder if they counted their chickens a little early in this one. Yeah, I think they might have just went out and thought, yeah, we can get Stoops. I think that he wants to come back. They might have even had a booster who knows him that had connections that told the school that they could, but it looks like old big game Bob just wants to sling some tequila, coach and <laughs> coach manage the XFL. The XFL. Like, that's not a bad life, so good for him. He looks so happy in that photo with his tequila bottles. Yeah, his little goatee that he rocks every once in a while. I like it. It's, I would it was it. funny because Matt and I spent like a decent amount of time and, because so yeah. many reporters were like, it's going to be locked in. And we're like, this is a great hire. I can't believe FSU got Bob right. Stoops. Uh, yeah, curveball. I don't think that one's Psych. happening. Psych is and right. And also, we were like, we were like, Rutgers might get Craig Schiano back. And apparently that's not happening either. So stick to football curse. Strikes again. Maybe Florida State should go after Schiano. We're undefeated on the stick to football. Maybe they should. Uh, we'll see. Clay Travis will probably shoot that down. All right. Uh, let's get into our picks and our previews and picks for the week. Number two, LSU at number three, Alabama. Alabama's favored by six and a half. The over-under is 64. I went back and forth all afternoon on this right before we sat down. I picked Alabama. I just think being at home is the difference maker here. I don't know what to expect with Tua. I don't really know what to expect with Grant Delpit. But I do believe in those Alabama receivers. I believe in the Alabama offensive line. Alex Leatherwood is so good at left tackle. I think they can shut down the LSU pass rush enough that whether it's Mac Jones or Tua back there, that quarterback's going to be able to make plays. And I've already seen it. Terrell Lewis was tweeting Thursday about how no one respects them. When Alabama feels disrespected, bad things happen to the other team. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you just said there, except for I think the difference here is I don't think Tua is healthy. And I hate to just constantly talk about this guy and his injuries because I do like the player and I want him to be successful, but he just had a pretty big operation on the ankle. I don't think he's going to play the whole game. And I'm going to make that bold take and follow it up by the fact that I think LSU wins this game 
in Tuscaloosa. I think this is a really good team. And offensively, not a lot of people have been able to stop them. That defense is really starting to get things together, too. And Divinity being out is going to be huge, but they are surrounded with great talent on that defensive line. The rest of the linebacker unit is exceptional. And their secondary, yeah, we already talked about it. It's great. I have LSU in this one. I think that we're probably going to see Tua get rattled early. He's going to have to move off his mark by, you know, chase on, chasing him around. I think the LSU can win this game if they can get after Tua early. This would be what feels like the biggest LSU win since their national title, but I just don't see it happening. Not in Tuscaloosa. If this was in Baton Rouge, and I just think things would be different, and I know the questions around Tua are really severe right now and can play a huge difference in this one. I just think Alabama is pissed off. They feel disrespected. I I would I can't wait for this game just to see what Joe Burrow does against an NFL defense. I think that's a big reason to watch. But I think this will be a big game for Najee Harris. I think those Alabama receivers are going to get theirs against a phenomenal secondary. It'll be a really close game. It's crazy to me. The line is Alabama favored by almost a touchdown. I don't think Alabama will cover, but I do think they will win. I think I feel like stick to football Wednesday will just be a recap of this game, basically. Like who stood out? Because I have twenty eight draftable players for the oh two thousand twenty draft in this one game. It's it's incredible. Number four, Penn State. Talk about shock of the year. Minus seven at number seventeen, Minnesota, where they are rowing the boat. Over under forty seven and a half. We unanimously are selecting the undefeated. Nittany Lions to win this game. Uh, Picking the Nittany Lions, rooting for the Gophers. Go Gophers. I want to see Minnesota and P.J. Fleck win this game. I love P.J. Fleck. Minnesota hasn't played anyone all year. Penn State's going to blow them out. Yeah, probably. But I am rooting for Minnesota as well. Me too, but Uh, not happening. But it's not going to happen. Right, it's not going to happen. Number 12, Baylor, also undefeated. Only favored by two points on the road at TCU. The over-under in this game, 48.5. Is this still the Big 12? Uh, I don't know. But... I'm taking the upset city here, baby. TCU, give me those horned frogs. I'm sorry, Gary Patterson. I said you weren't a good coach. Uh, I'm wrong. I was wrong. You're a good coach. You beat Texas. I think they can handle Baylor at home. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you. I think that TCU can as well. Uh, we mentioned how Minnesota hasn't played anybody, and I would actually say the same thing for Baylor. Uh, they just played West Virginia very close, a 17-14 to 14 win. Uh Their best win on the season, I think. I mean, they beat K-State, their ranked opponent. Okay, they beat Oklahoma State. But other than that, really, they haven't been tested that much either. I think that TCU can win this game. Difference maker, it's in TCU. I think that's going to be a close game, but I'm taking the Horned Frogs too. I think it'll be a close game. I'm still going to ride with Baylor on this one. I'm still going to ride with future NFL coach Matt Rule. Baylor, that's what they do. They just keep winning in close games under Rule, and this will be another one. Continue their undefeated season. Future New York, plug yeah, your favorite yeah, team in here. Big question coach, mark. Matt Rule, right? <laughs> number 18, Iowa. At number 13, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's favored by 9.5. Guys, this is the lowest over-under I think I've seen all year. 38 and a half. November Big Ten football. I love it. I'm so sad we're not going to get to watch this game until we get home. 
I'm taking Wisconsin. Actually, we're all taking Wisconsin in this one. Iowa on the road. Uh, I just don't know if they can score enough. And I also don't know if they can stop Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I think this is going to be a close game. I think it'll be a lot closer than the nine and a half points. Uh, this is a very good Wisconsin team. I know that they've kind of taken their lumps lately, but I still think that they can be very good and they can win that uh the western side of the Big Ten. I think they can do it with a win over Iowa. Uh, it'll be a close one. Wisconsin wins. Yeah, Wisconsin wins this one. I actually think they have a good chance to cover it, too. This Iowa team, they are not a bad football team, but they're not like the Iowa teams we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a down year. Iowa State and Matty Campbell at number 9, Oklahoma. OU favored by 14.5. The over-under is 68. Uh, Oklahoma, we say it across the board, but my God, I'm a cyclone this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see the upset here, but I honestly, I really like Jalen Hurts, and I think that the rest of the Oklahoma fan base does too. I think that he's just too much. Uh, probably going to get the job done running. Iowa State's got a very good defense, but they can't stop Oklahoma. This is the weird kind of game that Matt Campbell wins, but I don't think they do. I think Oklahoma is coming off such a bad stretch here that they're going to come out pissed off and take care of business pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. Mello, blind review us, baby. We are going with the Chargers-Raiders game here, Thursday night football, and boy, do the Chargers look terrible. These Raiders coming out at home, playing like they're headed to the playoffs. I really expected the Chargers to play a little bit better. They were able to get after Phillip Rivers, call some turnovers. You hate to see it. Papa Phil with a couple fumbles in this game. Tough look for the Chargers. The only thing tough about the Chargers is their owner, who went on a rant this week <laughs> dropping F-bombs. Probably the first time I've ever liked anything Dean Spanos has done. But how about my boy Josh Jacobs continuing his offensive rookie of the year candidacy, piling up the yards on that resume, 120-plus against the Chargers, who, my God, do they need Derwin James back in the worst way. But the Raiders, man, they're rolling right now. John Gruden's doing one hell of a job that's not getting talked enough about. They moved to 5-4. and four. They are within the playoff hunt in the AFC. Yeah, that sneaky playoff team right now, the Oakland Raiders. And for the Chargers, I mean, I love what Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram are doing, but they got to figure out the rest of this football team. Between the injuries, the offense, who's going to be playing quarterback next year. It's just it. After a great win against Green Bay, this one was really ugly. We can't finish the pick segment without giving you the super underdog locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my own money on. I'm going with USC this weekend over Arizona State. It seems like they should be the favorite. They are not. Right now you can go find them for plus one and a half. Take that money, put it on a bet, goes right back in your pocket. Safe money. All right, when we come back, we're going to give you our top 15 big boards. We've got Javon Kinlaw. We've got Maurice Claret. Sick football is amazing today. All right, guys, it is big board time. I'm excited for this. We've been teasing it all week, and then we realized, oh, shit, we actually have a really, really busy show tonight. So you're going to get a top 15 big board, and everyone can see mine every Friday morning in my scouting notebook article. So I'm actually going to give the floor to Mr. Mello here, breaking it down one through 15 for us, buddy. Let's go rapid fire all the way through these bad yeah. boys because this is going to take forever if we just really dive in here. Uh, number one, he's been there since day one of the 2020 draft for me. Chase Young, guy looks like a Greek god, plays like one, too. Number two, I don't think it's any other surprise here. Jerry Judy, 
owning that number two spot, we haven't seen a receiver come out with his ability to run routes, I think, uh, with the speed, his hands. He, he looks perfect. He's number two for me. Number three, I think, is where we start to get a little bit different on things. I'm actually going with cornerback Jeff Akuda out of Ohio State. I really like his physicality. I think he can play at the line of scrimmage. I think his ball production and skill this year has been excellent. I think if he runs well, uh, he's going to solidify himself as number three for me. Number four... I'm going with my guy, linebacker Isaiah Simmons. He just keeps shooting up the board. I don't know if he can get higher than four because that's that's an amazing place to start. But I love his versatility. I, I have him listed as a linebacker. He's a do-it-all. I, I don't know what position he'll get drafted at. Uh, it depends on the team. But he can do everything from slot corner to safety. Uh, he's even rushing the quarterback this year. Number five, I'm going with interior defensive lineman. Derek Brown. I love how disruptive he has been this year, uh, and he's doing it against some very good competition in the SEC. Number Can I stop you at five, actually? Sure. I know we're going to go, because I, I want to jump in on a couple of these, because like you said, I think we are all in agreement on Chase Young and Jerry Judy at one, two. Uh, I know we'll get to Connor Sport in a second. We all really like Jeff Akuda, but Derek Brown at five, that is the highest that any of us have him, and that's the highest I've ever seen him ranked. Connor, do you feel like this is is mellow? Like, oh, really, really crazy high on a guy. I have him at seven. I'm at six. I'll say that. So <laughs> okay, so no. All okay. right, yeah. I was gonna say, like, am I not fucking seeing something with Derek Brown here? No, I just want to have conversations. <laughs> like when something's different, it's like, oh, wait a second. Um, because I, for the most part, our top tens look very similar. They're just a little bit out of order. But when you're the hot, like this is what they would do in a in a scouting room. If you're the high man on a player, we want to talk about that. And if you're the low man on a player, you want to talk about that too. So, uh, but if you have him five, Connor has him six. I have him seven. We're all in a, in a pretty close range for that. Connor, what's your top five look like? Yeah, so I start with Chase Young because I think everybody in the world with a brain is going to start with Chase Young. It's that simple. I think he he really is as good as Miles Garrett was, which is exciting. Number two, Jerry Judy. I know all three of us have him at number two. He's a phenomenal wide receiver prospect, what he does before and after the catch. Number three, I'm with Mello here on Okuda being number three. Now, he ran a 4-4-9 in high school. I think when you go to Ohio State, you could you could shave off a decent amount of time there. He's probably going to be a 4-4 corner with height, length, physicality, man coverage ability, fluid hips, basically everything you want from a number one corner, and that's why Akuda easily sits in the top five here. Number four is Tua for me. Now, I love everything about Tua's game. I really don't have a lot of concerns about his game. What my concerns are is injuries, and I hope he could stay healthy in the NFL. Yep. And then number five to round it out is C.D. Lamb. You guys know how big of a fan I've been of C.D. Lamb. I just think, it, yeah, he's not going to blow by a ton of people because he's probably going to be a four five five kind of runner, but he wins at the catch point. He wins after the catch. He's nuanced in his route running. I really think he's a good player. Yeah, and a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, Connor's high man on C.D. Lamb. Uh, you're not that much high. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're not that much higher than Mellow and I, so we'll get to him. My top five, and again, I think everyone should be fairly familiar with this. It's Chase Young, Jerry Judy. I still have two at number three overall. The ankle injury is concerning for me, especially two years in a row, but I'm going to wait and see on that a little bit. I have Jeff Akuda at number four, and I've said before, he's one of my favorite corner prospects I've ever evaluated for a lot of the reasons that Mello laid out there. And then number five, a player that I am much higher on, I believe, still than, than the two of you, is Joe Burrow, quarterback for LSU. And this weekend, we'll have a lot to, to say about where we see him as a draft prospect because, you know, I, being a big Joe Burrow fan, 
I can also look back and say last year he was completing like 58% of his passes. This year it's closer to 78. What changed? Is it all Joe Brady? Is it Jamar Chase? Is it comfort within the system? So I think with Joe Burrow, it's easy. I'm very excited watching him play Texas, watching him play Florida, and now we get to see him against Alabama. If he has a big game there, okay, that's, that answers a lot of questions for me. But I am a little concerned about last year's completion percentage. I will say this is a guy that just doesn't turn the ball over. He's only thrown, I believe, nine interceptions in his one and a half years as a starter. So his touchdown to interception ratio is absolutely insane. And I think we're seeing very good playmaking skills from him as well. So I'm a little bit higher on Joe Burrow uh, than you guys are. But I, I do feel like we're all starting to come in together. So 48 to 9 is his touchdown to interception ratio, which is just absolutely insane. At LSU or is at that couple games? He had two touchdowns there. at Ohio State mm-hmm. uh, in his redshirt freshman year. Yeah, I'm actually pretty high on Joe Burrow. I'm coming around and that's... Maybe even more to do with Tua. Uh, I'll start again, number six overall. I do have C.D. Lamb. I think that his ability after he catches the ball has really just been highlighted this year. I knew the dude had great hands, and we saw it in his sophomore season. Now we're seeing what he can do when he actually has the ball in his hands, and I think he's the most dangerous player in the entire nation. I mean, I've watched five Texas guys try to tackle him. The the K-State team tried to tackle him, and he just finds a way out. He's not going to run a super fast 40. He's not 4-2, 4-3 like these Alabama guys, but he's probably more dangerous with the ball. I have him comped right now to DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm staying with it. I I felt that it was a little risque at first. Now I think it's pretty pinpoint accuracy there. CeeDee Lamb, number six. This is where I have Tua. Number seven, a little bit lower than all of you guys. Than all of you guys. I don't know how many people are in this room. Both of you. I'm really concerned about this ankle two years in a row. And I don't know if I want to hitch my wagon to a guy who's been injured with this lower body injury two years in a row where they're having surgery to fix it, where they're going in and they're tightening things up and they're worried about that bone coming loose. That's not a great sign. I had him as high as number three before. I've dropped him all the way down to number seven. And number eight is Joe Burrow. I do have a lot of questions with him. Is this just a one-year thing with the new offensive coordinator? Or did UCF just knock something loose, like I've said before, and now we're just seeing him more comfortable in an offense? He never really got his time to shine at Ohio State. Now he got his his year to learn the playbook at LSU to get comfortable with his receivers. I think it might be more Joe Burrow than it is the receivers, and I was giving those receivers a lot of credit early. So I have him at number eight already. And number nine, uh, he used to be my corner one, but I still love him, C.J. Henderson. I love his length. I don't give a shit if he ever makes a tackle in the NFL. That's not what I'm drafting this guy nine overall to do. I think that he and Jeff Okuda can both be shut down corners in this league, that they can both just handle that whole side of the field. They're going to be exceptional well in coverage. Yeah, Henderson may not want to tackle, but I I, I, I think honestly, that's overblown. I Yeah, if it's not. I don't care. And number 10 for me, I'm going to go with a running back. DeAndre Swift looks very special. Uh, a lot like what we're seeing out of Christian McCaffrey this year. I think that he could be a similar, maybe a little bit thicker of a running back. He catches the ball so well, very elusive. Uh, he doesn't have the wear and tear that we've seen out of guys like Jonathan Taylor, who's going to be on my list as well. So I have him at number 10, and I feel very confident with those 10 guys 
After 10 for me, that's where we start to see the draft fall a little bit. Yeah, that's where it's going to get really fun. Number six for me, Derek Brown. I know you had him at five, Mello. Matt has him at seven. I'm somewhere right in the middle. I mean, the thing you need to know about Derek Brown is he could have came out last year and been a pretty high pick. He's dominated in the SEC now for a couple seasons. He's a really talented player. He might be one of the safer players in this class. It's just a matter of how important will teams value the position he plays. Number seven is Andrew Thomas. I still think he could be an NFL tackle. He's a great run blocker and I still think he is the best offensive lineman in this class. I think the questions will really surround his length and ability and pass protection. Number eight is Isaiah Simmons. I feel like, Melo, this feels like one of your favorite players in this draft. I I think he's the chess piece that a lot of teams look for. You could probably play him similarly how guys like Jamal Adams and Derwin James have played the safety position where they play in the box what feels like 80% of their snaps. They can move out in the slot. They could run with tight ends. They could do a lot of different things, and teams are really going to value that from him. They could even blitz very well. Number nine, DeAndre Swift. I love him. I think he's almost as good as somebody like Christian McCaffrey was coming out of college with what he could do as a pass catcher, a game breaker, big-time speed, big-time elusiveness. Love DeAndre Swift, and he's the perfect modern-day NFL running back. And number 10, this is probably the biggest faller in the top 10. I think I had him at number two to start the season. That's Grant Delpit. I still believe in Delpit's ability and coverage and basically all-around safety potential. He just hasn't jumped off the tape this year, and maybe he could change that this weekend. Yeah, and he's playing. That's a big thing. There was a lot of question marks. Was he going to play or not? He and Tua both playing. Both have ankle injuries. Conversely enough, number six for me, Isaiah Simmons. I This is the one player that I really don't have a great comp for yet because it's like if Derwin James were 235 pounds and six six foot four. four. Yeah. There's no one like that. It's just he's truly a freak of nature. It's like if you combined a middle linebacker with Minka Fitzpatrick, like that's who you would get. So I don't I don't know who that is, but I love Isaiah Simmons. I, I agree with something Mello said. A lot, I think, will depend on what kind of scheme he gets drafted into. Hopefully, it's someone that knows how to utilize him and will let him flourish as a bit of a a defensive weapon. Number seven for me, Derek Brown. Again, like you guys said, he would have been a first-round pick last year on my board, decided to go back, and he's just absolutely wrecking people. I hope and pray that we get to see him at the Senior Bowl because it would be a treat with he and Javon Kinlaw just wrecking Offensive lineman would be like, nah, I'm not going. I'm staying home. I don't want to deal with that because Brown has speed. He has power. He has excellent size. Number eight, a player I'm the high man on, Henry Ruggs, wide receiver from Alabama. I've started to see people say, oh, he's just a deep threat. That is not true. He's a yak threat. This is Tyreek Hill without the off field. This guy has elite Olympic speed, like legendary speed. Throw that bullshit generational talent out the window. This is legendary speed from Henry Ruggs, who would immediately be one of the fastest guys in the NFL. I, I know some scouts who said they trust their watches. They had him at 425. That's with no combine training. That's just line up on the track at Bama and run a 425. So it's insane speed. Number nine, CeeDee Lamb. I think he's a player we're all going to love watching him on Saturdays. It's like, God, he's a, one of the best receivers in college football. He's going to get to the combine. He's not going to run well. And you're going to start hearing the chatter of, oh, he's not that good. He's a late first, second round pick. Same thing happened to Mike Thomas when he was at Ohio State. And we begged people. He's a great route runner. He dropped five passes in two years at Ohio State. Just draft good players. Teams didn't do it. Now he's one of the best receivers in football and was a second round pick. I think C.D. Lamb could maybe fall a little bit. 
But I'm not moving off him as a top 10 player unless some kind of injury or off-field happens. And then number 10 for me is Grant Delpit. I've talked to a lot of LSU people over the last few weeks. The sense that I get is that Delpit has been, the ankle injury has been bothering him. That's why we haven't seen him making the, the tackles in space as much. I also personally think he is holding back a little bit because you know that, okay, you're undefeated. You're going to be a top 15 draft pick. You don't want to get hurt. I think we see him, you know, with all the, the momentum and the atmosphere of this Alabama game, two versus three, a chance for a national championship here. I think we see him play the best game that he's had this year against Alabama on Saturday. He's going to have to in order for them to win. I'm up again here at number 11, and this is where I have Andrew Thomas. I do think that he's the best tackle. I don't know if he's a left tackle, and and that probably is going to hurt him in the eyes of some of the Twitter scouts and maybe even some teams. I value right tackle. I think it's a very important position. I watch my Kansas City Chiefs every Sunday. They do just fine with makeshift left tackle. But they have an elite right tackle. I think Andrew Thomas, at a minimum, can slide in and do that. From day one, I do want to see his testing, how he works side to side, and if he's going to be able to keep up with a lot of the elite-level pass rushers in the NFL. Now, the crazy thing about the NFL is they finally caught on is that they'll just put those guys on the other side. It doesn't matter if you have a great left tackle or right tackle. So I like Andrew Thomas. I just need to see a little bit more from him. Next up for me, I'm going running back again. I still really like Jonathan Taylor. I know he had a terrible game against Ohio State. That's just what Ohio State does for you. If you're still sleeping on those Ohio State linebackers and the safety play that they have, that's one of the best defenses I've seen. Maybe they're not putting up the historic points by playing some really shitty schools, but I think this is going to be one of the toughest defenses to deal with and one that we've seen in a long time at Ohio State. So Jonathan Taylor, yeah, a little bit of wear and tear on there. A little bit of fumble issues, which seems like he's corrected this year. And he's shown that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I still really value him. Grant Delpit next for me. He is falling for a lot of the reasons that Matt already talked about. Next guy, number 14, A.J. Epinesa. I'm still just figuring out where where does he fit in the NFL. Uh, Is he an interior lineman? Is he an edge rusher? Uh, I'm sure that any defense can find a place for this guy, but I'm still just struggling to kind of place him in what role he will be. And then number 15, Henry Ruggs. This kind of speed plays. Uh, I don't care if he can run routes or, or do anything. He can get open over the top every single time. Matt, you mentioned like a Tyreek Hill type guy. I don't know if he's quite that, but he's... Thick too, four two speed weighing in on hundred and ninety pounds is in- exceptional. I mean, you talk about IS- Isaiah Simmons, how we've never seen anything like that before. We've never seen one ninety running a four two before. Maybe even a four one by the time we get to the combine. Yeah, you end with rugs there, Melo, and I'll start with him here at number eleven. I mean, he has a build. He's even he's thicker than Will Fuller. He stays healthy. Will Fuller does not, yeah. and he's faster than Will Fuller. I mean, he could truly be a special deep threat at the next level. And it's really exciting to see how Alabama gets him involved. Whether it's those pitch passes, whether it's the short routes underneath where he could turn up field on screens, he will be more than just a guy that's asked to run a go route at the next level, which makes him really exciting. Number 12, next offensive lineman up after Andrew Thomas is Tristan Wirfs. Uh, 
I once again, he could play either tackle position. I think the question is going to be, what is the ceiling for Tristan Wirfs? That's what teams are going to wonder here. Can he develop into a franchise left tackle, franchise right tackle? If he can, he'll be a top 10 pick with the uh, demand for offensive linemen right now. Number 13 is Joe Burrow. I guess I, I would consider myself low man on Joe Burrow here. I think Joe Burrow has a, obviously has a very good chance of going in the top two, and I think he could one day be a really good NFL quarterback. I think what I'm trying to figure out now is how to evaluate a guy that truly didn't break out till his fifth year in college, and that's counting the redshirt year. When I say breakout, I mean high-profile statistics. And some people will think, well, Baker Mayfield in his fifth year had a phenomenal season. Baker Mayfield in his third year and fourth year had a phenomenal season and then fell on the NFL radar in his fifth season. So so I think for Burrow, that's going to be the question for me is, what is the trends of guys in year number five that explode on the scene, taking it to the next level at the NFL? And things that factor into that are definitely age, traits, character. He's going to knock it out of the park on the last one. Figuring out the other two is going to be the big one for me. So Burrow sits right outside the top 10. Number 14, Javon Kinlaw. I mean, he's just wrecking everyone this year. And if you read the story about Kinlaw's life, whether it's being homeless at one point when he was a kid or having to get his grades up out of high school, He's basically passed every hurdle to the point now in his senior season, he's reached this peak that no one, I mean, people thought the physical talent was always there, but he's really reaching it. And that's what makes Kinlaw such a special player and why he easily deserves to be in the top 15. And the question will be at the senior bowl, can he catch up to Derek Brown? Everybody will have their eyes on that as he's confirmed to be in Mobile. Number 15 for me on talent is Trey Smith from Tennessee. The medicals could push him out to day two very easily. But if you're looking for a guard that plays the style that Quentin Quentin Nelson played coming out of Notre Dame, this guy is it. He will line up across from Alabama and bully guys out of the way. If you watch the Ravens against New England, how they beat them, they blew guys off the ball. And that's what Trey Smith does. So if you're looking at talent, at guard, he's played tackle before. Trey Smith has all of it. Those combine medicals are going to be the deciding factor for him. Yeah, and my 11 through 15, uh, I have C.J. Henderson at 11, A.J. Epinesa at 12, uh, DeAndre Swift at 13, Jonathan Taylor at 14. So no one different than anyone you guys mentioned. The one player I do have this difference, number 15, that I would be the, the high man on, that's Caleb on Chase on at LSU. We're going to get to see him against Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Willis this weekend, LSU-Alabama game. I think with Chase on, as long as he's healthy, we've seen the speed, the explosion, the first step is absolutely there. He is a little bit lean, but I think some of that is just coming back from injury. When I watch him play, I'm like, dang, 6'5", he could probably get up to like 255, 260, no issues, fill out that frame, add some power to it. The raw tools are there. It reminds me in some ways of like how Marcus Davenport looked, where it's like, gosh, if we can just get our hands on this guy, coach him up a little bit, he could be exceptional. So I'm a little bit higher on Caleb on Chase on than you guys are, but uh, for sure, it's going to be a fun year. Where 1 through 5 seem pretty set you know, six through 10, like, yeah, we're, we're kind of similar, but then 11 through 15 is where this draft gets fun and uh, the fun's just getting started. All right. When we come back, we have an amazing player, a guy we just talked about, Javon Kinlaw joining us here on stick to football. One of the biggest draft risers this entire year. One of the best players in the sec that South Carolina's defensive lineman, Javon Kinlaw accepted his senior bowl invite. And then he hopped on the phone with us. Javon, welcome to stick Thanks to football, buddy. Me. Thanks for having me. One thing I want to jump into right away is that a player of your standing uh, and executive director Jim Nagy tweeted this as well, said you were going to be a first rounder with or without the senior bowl, but you decided 
You wanted to go to Mobile. You wanted to compete against the best of the best. You wanted to show up against all the talent that they assembled down there. They had nine first-rounders last year. What was it about that opportunity that intrigued you? Um, There's still so much in front of me um, on the table. still so much in front of me on the table. So I can go down there and show what I chance and that opportunity to go down there and show what I can do against some of the best players in the country. You know, it's a big thing. You know, I feel like I could turn a lot of heads there, you know, not that I haven't already been doing that. It's just, it's it's a bigger um, a bigger platform, you know. All eyes going to be there, you know. So, I'm excited. What was that process like though as a player? Uh, I've seen Nagy tweet and I follow him pretty closely. But how did you find out that the senior bowl was interested in you and what kind of uh, ways did they go about contacting you and and when did you finally decide that you would go to the senior bowl? Um I got the invite. Well, I got the the little the letter from my coach yesterday, so I just opened it up and accepted it. Didn't waste no time. I didn't really know I had to do all that, but <laughs> I just didn't waste no time. Well, for one, shoot, I was on the toilet when I opened it. <laughs> I read I read everything on the toilet. I'm like an old man. So, um, but um, Jim Nagy, um, he's been tweeting stuff about me for some time. Maybe um. Since the Alabama game, you know, seeing stuff like uh, Senior Bowl. Well, I've been seeing stuff here saying something about the, the Senior Bowl uh, watch list and things like that. So that's kind of how I got information about it through Twitter. And you had the opportunity in front of you last year where you could have left for the NFL. Could have been drafted. It could have went pro and done all of that. But you decided to go back to school. And, and obviously, you've had a phenomenal senior season here. But what made you decide to go back to school? Um, just shoot, just because I felt like I didn't accomplish anything. You know, it was so much more work to be done out there. Um, still had a lot to a lot to improve on. You know, and I was also injured my whole that whole year. So being able to come back, you know, a hundred percent, you know, it, it showed. It definitely showed. You know, it definitely showed that I was a more a more hungrier player this year than last year. And I'm just glad that I seized the opportunity. Being from Charleston, which I, I was fortunate enough to spend a week there not not too long, about a year ago, actually. I don't know how many people around the country realize that Charleston is like a hidden gem uh, in America. Where's your favorite spot to go eat in Charleston? Uh, I would probably say Hannibal's downtown Charleston. It's like a soul food place. I used to get like the pork chop sandwich. So I get llama beans and rice. Got neck bones in it, stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't have any of that. Now, now you've also won an award, though, for dropping like 40 pounds in weight. So coming from one guy that probably needs to drop 40 pounds, what's your secret here, man? Um, Don't say hard work because I can't do that. Uh, that's one of them. But <laughs> well, damn it. One is just the way we practice that fall camp and – and probably just the nutrition side of everything, probably learning, kind of learning how to take care of myself and eating most of the stuff that I was eating and just conditioning and things like that. So a lot of the stuff and, that I don't want to do is exactly how you lose weight. Yeah, man. I had cardio like twice a day. They made me do it after practice in fall camp, and it was so hot outside. <laughs> they made me walk the, walk the stadium and walk up the bleachers and – Stuff that you just don't want to do, you know. Treat me like I was a, like a, felt like a 
like uh, like a, like I was in 35 years <laughs> got me walking fast paced and stuff like that <laughs> yeah with like ankle weights and stuff like right. that did you walk the mall? You know, like they take you to the mall, make you sweat in a sweatsuit, anything like that? Nah, nah. It's just doing the elliptical and you know stuff like that, man. Crazy stuff, there, master. <laughs> you don't see a lot of defensive linemen wearing number three. Is there any reason you wear that number, or have you just always worn three? Well, I mean, in high school, starting off, I had the number seven because I, I always nice. wanted. I always used to say I wanted to be like clowns, but. When I got here, I was just like, well, they just placed me in the number 99 when I first got here. And I really don't, I'm not as, I don't really like wearing 90s. <laughs> but I know I got to next year and the rest of my career. But I'm, I've, I've always been the type to try to wear a single digit, you know. So, and three was, three was one of the, uh, the options that I had. So I just went with three. And I also like it because my cousin, um, he played for South Carolina State, Oliver Trey Young. He played receiver there. He he had wore number three, and I had remembered from my childhood seeing him play. You know, wearing that number three, so that's probably one of the reasons I had chose that number. Now I don't know how much you keep up with this because you've been busy, but the NCAA is going to let players profit, like make money off their likeness and everything, which means the the college football video game is probably going to come back. How pissed are you that it's probably going to come back right after you graduate college, so you're not going to be in there? I ain't going to lie. I'm not mad at all because uh, I, I know where I'm headed at, you know. <laughs> You're being mad, right? You're mad. <laughs> but I ain't going to lie, man. Just overall, I am kind of mad because you, man. Some of us, man, we, we, we could have had a chance to be making some good money. But it is what it is, man. I'm glad. I'm glad it's finally, you know, taking a turn like that. I'm glad. Is that something that you guys have ever talked about in the locker room, uh, I don't. You don't have to say anything badly about the NCAA, but I mean, you guys should have the opportunity to make a lot of money, and you haven't been able to. Is that anything? Has that ever come up in the locker room, or um, maybe just having side conversations with your teammates? Yeah, most definitely, man. We always just say, man, so we we would just be like, man, if we get paid, we'll be rich already. Stuff like that, because you know we bring in so much money to the university, football alone, ticket sales. And- just things like things in that things in that uh, area. I feel like you know if we if we could ever get a cut of that, man, we would already we would be real older. I'm sure there's a couple number three jerseys walking around that right. South Carolina campus right now, and you got nothing for it. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Crazy man, Javon. It is what it is. Has being a dad motivated you a little differently? Most definitely, when you know you got somebody else depending on you, that you you can't just put it to the side or just try to let somebody else handle it. You know, you, you got to be the one to provide for your family and you know provide for your child. So that's just it's the biggest motivation I ever, I could have ever had in my life, and it's gonna motivate me for the rest of my career, hands down. You know, just wanting to. Make as much profit as I can from this from this from this game, you know. So, do you have any spots? And I, it, obviously, you don't get to pick. But if it was up to you, which NFL team would you play for next year? Uh, you know, either the Cowboys or the Colts. Is there a reason behind that? Cow- Is it location? I, I, I say the Cowboys because man, like. 
my my dad's side of the family, they all a lot of them they love the Cowboys. They all Cowboy fans. That's one of the reasons. And the Colts, I say the Colts because that's been my older brother team since we was like real, 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 real young. That's the only reason for those two teams. I just appreciate you answering the question because a lot of times right? we ask prospects and they're like, no, I don't care. I'll go play anywhere. Like, yeah, no, duh, you'll go play I anywhere. Mean, yeah, You're about yeah. to be a millionaire. But, yeah, having your favorite teams, they, you always have an interest in, and a rooting interest in where you want to go. Yeah, no doubt, man. Shoot, whoever, you know, whoever picked me. But at the end of the day, man, you know, shoot, just being around my brother so much, I don't like the cause, but he just make me want to play for him, you know, just to see a smile on his face. Hey, Javon, whoever uh, whoever picks you the highest, and I think here at Six Football, we have a pretty good feeling you're going to go pretty high in this year's draft, and we can't wait to see you down in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Yes, sir. For sure. All right, John. Thank you, man. Like Connor said, we'll see you at the Senior Bowl. We're, we're looking forward to it, and good luck the rest of the way. you got a, a month left of college football, and then uh, then the work gets to start again. So thanks for taking time, man, and, uh, and good luck again. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we promised you some amazing guests tonight, and we have another one. One of the best college football players I have ever seen in my life, Maurice Claret, a guy who, as a freshman at Ohio State, probably had the best national title game performance, at least of my lifetime. So welcome to Stick to Football, man. We are honored to have you. Yeah, now we wanted to talk to you. You have a book uh, that's coming out called One and Done. Um, you're ho- hosting an event uh, Tuesday, November 19th, uh, where you're going to be talking about you know your path from college, being that amazing true freshman to uh, where you are now trying to help players. Uh, It's been really an amazing story. But one thing that I've been dying to ask you uh, since I found out we were going to have you on here, now the NCAA has come out and said that players can make money off their name and their likeness. How much money do you think you would have made at Ohio State by selling the number 13 jersey? Because that was hot. And you like you would be a multimillionaire right now. Yeah, if, if, uh, if that rule had been enacted. Now, I will say this. Uh, they said they're going to do something, but I'm anxious just like the rest of the world to see what they're actually going to do. That'll be uh, the, the first thing. But if, uh, if we were allowed to make money and we can be in partnership with Nike or or Adidas or whoever uh, was selling the jersey at the time, I probably would have did pretty well for myself. Now, if you were able to make money during your time at Ohio State, do you think we would have seen you there all three years? Yeah, I think you would have seen myself there. I think you would have seen a lot of guys. Um, I, I was joking with somebody, and now, like, in 2019, it sounds, like, so crazy uh, when you talk about, you know, kids should be paid, and uh, the conversation is a lot more uh, further down the road than, than what it was years ago. But I was laughing. I was like, man, can you believe, like, had I had enough money to um, pay for my transmission that, that got um, that, that broke basically when I was a freshman, I said I probably would have never been in the situation of needing anything from anybody. And, of course, if we were allowed to get paid off of memorabilia and, and all of the other, um, not memorabilia, but if you're allowed to get paid off your likeness, like these kids probably would get paid in the near future, you know, I probably would have stuck around for two or three years and it wouldn't, wouldn't have been a deal. Uh, but I, I don't get mad or I don't cry for spilled milk. It's cool just even to see the, uh, the conversation going this way. Uh, it's also cool to see that, um, like, I get a chance to see it in my lifetime and I don't have to be like some old man and, and seeing these kids benefit. But a lot of kids don't know that there's a lot of people uh, had this rule been enacted, you know, a long time ago that, you know, th- their college careers would have been a little bit different or uh, they just myself included, we would have been able to stick around at the university a little bit longer and, 
you know, these silly rules uh, that are in place right now, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't have an effective, effective on. Yeah, Maurice, do you think football is kind of dated where they make you stay in college three years before you can go to the NFL, where areas it's very different in college basketball and the NBA? Like, how many years do you really think a football, and it's different player by player, but how many years do you think they really should have that rule set at? Yeah, to, to me, I don't think, like, it's always in, we, we've been saying this thing probably since 2004, uh, with basketball, football, hockey, soccer, it doesn't matter. Um, when a guy, it, it's really not on the kid. The kid can say, hey, he's he's ready to go year one, but if he's not, nobody will pick him. So, you know, just the, the fact that they uh, throw that blanket statement on everybody and make everybody stay, uh, when each person's, you know, talent and social level is at a, um, as at a different stage of development, it's kind of hard. You know, and I'm pretty sure if we, if we sat down and really thought about it, you could think of some guys uh, probably after two years who were ready to go to the NFL who were just head and shoulders above, you know, other guys. You know, so I look at, you know, Adrian Peterson when he was young. Uh, I look at, you know, you could probably take some defensive linemen that, you know, you come in, you have a couple years of development, and these guys are able to go. Um, you know, and, and everybody's case is different. It's not to say that, you know, out of you know, out of 10 kids, you know, uh, six of them will make it. You know, that would be a blanket statement. But they should just at least have the freedom uh, to be able to choose. And if somebody wants to take a bet on them and bring them in their system and then say, hey, you know, this guy has potential, uh, I'll pay for him to be developed on our team up under my watch and, and, and we'll pay for that guy. And, you know, you look at it now, they take, you know, uh, quarterbacks. You know, quarterbacks who's played two or three years in, in, in college and, they said, hey, we think you need a little bit more development. How about we, we grab you early? So there's a lot of guys who can benefit from stuff like that. But the fact that it, um, it's not allowed, you know, then the kid is, you know, uh, stuck into this uh, to this cash system. But if they just took the rules off of all of it, and, and, and you'll have kids who go and, and they won't make it. But uh, just like they've been able to do, they made, they made the basketball, uh, well, I think it's still a real word, you can put your name in the draft, and if you get drafted, or if you don't get drafted, you can come back. You know that's that's not a big yep. deal. You know, if a kid, if a kid you know, doesn't go out and he doesn't get chosen by a team, like so what? He didn't get chosen. Let him come back and, and pursue his dreams. But uh, you know, we have these silly rules that if he goes and he tries to become a professional of some sorts, um, that that all of his eligibility is kind of like you know thrown to the wayside. And so. Uh, like like everything, man, all, we wish these conversations had taken place years ago, but now that they're happening, uh, I'm happy for them. And, you know, like, uh, achieve the chance to actualize your dreams um, by being able to play a sport and be a professional of some sort and make some money so he can uh, take, care of himself, take care of himself or his family. And, and that's what it's ultimately all about. That's why most of these kids get up and work hard and lift weights and uh, they run and, and all this other stuff. You, you do it all with the thought that you can – you know, secure a future for yourself and secure a future for people who are assisting you in, in, uh, in going to facilitate your dreams. Uh, Maurice, one thing I, I've wanted to ask you uh, for a long time, actually, uh, do you regret your decision to sue the NFL to enter the draft? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but 2004, you and Mike Williams, receiver at USC, uh, decided to sue to try to get into the draft early instead of waiting the three years. Is that a decision that, you know, now in hindsight you regret or are you you're still happy with that? Yeah, uh, and just to bring context to it, I never wanted to uh, leave college uh, early. Uh, when they suspended me indefinitely, uh, that entire offseason, uh, I was still in school and, and still taking my classes and doing everything. And uh, I wanted to come back because I knew we had a lot of the same pieces and puzzles to make myself look good and to uh, eventually get drafted out. But just the circumstances surrounding my return, 
you can just see that uh, there have been like a, um, I don't know, like an ego thing uh, between uh, myself and yeah, the former athletic director. And it was a lot of jousting going back and forth between me and him. And so um, I'm pretty sure, like, if he can do things over, he probably would. And if I could, you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, I probably would. Uh, but the only logical step at that point uh, was to say, hey, let me go and, and see if I can make it in the NFL. And I thought it would work out. And so I, I don't regret it because, you know, at the time, based on the information I had, uh, I thought it was the best decision. I thought that they would have at least allowed me to um, – to pursue it, and then, you know, when we did pursue it, we were initially allowed to go, excuse me, and then that's when I learned that uh, NFL is big business. All of the people uh, who came uh, and, and basically resisted me, it wasn't the NFL, it was the sponsors of the NFL and all the people who had benefited from a system standpoint, from a business standpoint, uh, with college athletics being the way that they are. And so, you know, when we were in there standing with our uh, two or three lawyers and the guys from um, uh, Philadelphia, uh, when they were going up against, you know, these mammoths, uh, these these uh, these uh, these large corporations, you know, I just knew uh, that that it was virtually impossible to to fight these guys. How early do you think you could have been drafted in that draft class? Uh, I would have liked to believe that I was a first round talent. Um, you know, I, I, but you have to remember, like, so I, I was the first guy to ever graduate early from high school. You know, I was the first guy to start this trend that that basically still goes on to this day. So. I had had, uh, what was that, probably eight or nine months of, of, of collegiate football between, you know, conditioning and, and spring ball and summer training and then also that fall training going into the season. And so it was almost like when I went to go play, um, when I went to go play the season, it was almost like I was playing a second season of college football because I had been banged and bumped and bruised and, and all that stuff with these guys. And so the, the level of the game, you know, we, we played the championship. We played against top-tier talent. You know, we, we went out there with we're 14 and 0, uh, and and I was I was successful at doing so. Uh, but I would like to believe, you know, if you, if you put any of those guys, if you could take all the top talents and top running backs from that year's class. Uh, I would like to believe that if you stuck three of us on the board, I'm pretty sure, and I humbly say that I would be in the top three. And at that time, you know, running backs were uh, a commodity, or, or not a commodity, they were, they were a high priority. Maurice, just from following your your business ventures, I know you've done podcasting, you've gone back to Ohio State, just so many different things. And even the title of your book saying, One and Done, How My Life Started When My Football Career Ended. Do you have any interest in helping other players that are looking for life after football? Yeah, like, uh, and, and uh, the focus point or the purpose of the book is to raise funds to uh, start a, a facility uh, a residential facility to help with uh, some of those traditional issues, be it with your mental health issues, be it your drug and alcohol issues, be it social and, and so many other things that I had to gather along the way myself uh, once I was done with the football. Also from an entrepreneurship standpoint, uh, just just me gathering myself and me understanding that I had uh, a skill set that was uh, that I was able to play some sports and then, you know, nobody ever told me that I was also able to play sustained uh, within the business world, and I thought I've kind of figured it out. And so, uh, you know, I, I do continue to work with uh, UConn men's basketball team. I think I'm going to do the same thing down uh, with LSU's basketball team. But I work with guys in a limited capacity now, but the goal is to get a residential facility uh, for guys that, you know, end up in situations like mine who, who may have a bump in the road or may be struggling to transition, but just need a little guidance or need some um uh, some help and assistance in, in transitioning above their current condition. And a lot of these universities aren't set up to sporting guys um, 
ones who come out of failing school districts, ones who come out of neighborhoods that are, are similar to my neighborhoods. And, and also, a lot of guys have never transitioned successfully. So, you know, I, I came out of prison uh, with 400 bucks. I went out to Omaha, Nebraska, and I was uh, playing football out there for a couple of years. I went out to um, and did the 30 for 30, obviously. And after that, you know, uh, I was, I've uh, had to be an entrepreneur. So I, did, I, I had a truck company, built a truck company, and, and had some success doing that. Uh, I probably, you know, we had probably about 130, 40 people who work within our, our, our mental health and drug and alcohol agency between Youngstown and Columbus and, and the surrounding areas. And, uh, and I own surgery centers now. And I've been able to do that. Also, some, I dabble some real estate stuff. Not dabble, but I'm a serious about real estate investing. And I've been able to do that uh, just through self-education. But then also, uh, I've also understood that, you know, what wasn't being told to us and that, you know, uh, being motivated and being a goal-driven and goal-setting person and uh, being accountable for behavior and being responsible and all those things that you use on the, uh, the athletic field or the court, all those things can be applied elsewhere. And just there's not a lot of times that um, that's spoken to you. A lot of those guys say, hey, get your grades. Uh, but uh, uh, this stuff comes down to how do you apply, you know, how do you apply the skill set that you have that you hone and grind every day uh, in, in this locker room? How do you take that skill set and establish it and put it somewhere else? And, you know, you, you need somebody to say, hey, things may start out slow. And, and how do you be personable? How do you be likable? And, and to talk about those real-time things instead of those commercial things and say, hey, you know, we're telling our kids to get good grades and, and, and be great athletes. And that stuff looks good for paper, and that stuff works when you're trying to get coaches bonuses and all the other stuff. And you can have guys walk across the stage and, uh, you know, they got a degree in dishwashing one-on-one, uh, but it does nothing for these guys when they head back to their neighborhoods or, or when they're trying to integrate their communities or even trying to leave their, their families. And so hopefully through uh, – and, and just to just to speak on it, uh, I run residential facilities now. We, we run about um, – you know, we, we house probably 40 to 50 people uh, within the current company we have, but I wanted to make something in particular student-athletes and student-athletes only, uh, be it high school and, and collegiate guys, depending upon um, – uh, depending upon the need, but, you know, uh, I, I definitely 100% feel like uh, me getting back in and giving back to student-athletes and putting stuff like this together where you can work them in an independent fashion uh, is something that's near and dear to my heart. I feel like it's a circle of life deal. Uh, the book I put together, like I said, I don't receive any proceeds off of it, and that was me consciously doing it. Uh, like, I could have grabbed this book, sold it, and, and, and put the money in my pocket, but I like my, uh, there's so many people throughout my process who have given to me and paid them just forward. And I said, man, there's no other way to like kind of give your life than to, to take your life story uh, and to say like, hey, my life is not cool, but my life is like most kids. Uh, the only thing that made my life different was that I was a freshman on the Ohio State branded team. That was the only difference. And I had a lot of success. But for the most part, you talk about uh, just a, a lack of being educated. You talk about most of these kids coming from a, um, a single parent underprivileged situation, and most of these kids who just, you know, think football is the end all be all. Uh, that's my story. And when it didn't work out, I failed to decide like most guys. I got drinking and drugging and all the other nonsense to happen. So, uh, so other kids can have resources and uh, have the ability to go and live a successful life. I, I want to be able to put something together uh, to allow these kids to at least get something and, and, and have an opportunity to be redirected if they are off the path. It, it really is amazing what you're doing, and and I have to admit, like I wasn't super aware of all the good that you're doing in your community and, and out there uh, for really just trying to you know help people out. It, it really is amazing. I do want to ask you one football question before we run out of time with you and have to let you go. But uh, 
What are your thoughts on Ohio State this year? Ranked number one right now. How closely do you keep up with the team, I guess, is the first question. And, and what, are your, what are your feelings on their chances this year? Oh, cool. Yeah, and I keep up with I live in Columbus, so it's, it's very easy to keep up with them. Uh, and I think they have what it takes. You know, the only thing uh, that, that, that I, I see that I, I personally love is that they have a strong defense. And when we won the uh, championship, we had a, a very strong defense at that time. We had Will Smith. Uh, who was our defense end? Like I look at Chase Young and uh, these guys anchored. Excuse me. And any time that you're going to compete for uh, a championship, uh, you, you better have a defense that can, uh, um, I don't know, save the day when the offense isn't kind of like putting up a bunch of points. Uh, because you know, the, the, the deeper you get into the year, um, the, the the more the offense kind of runs the same plays, or people kind of pick up on your tendencies. So you have good defensive coordinators. Uh, who can adjust and, and, and they'll scheme for a lot of that stuff uh, that they've seen. You know, guys spend, you know, tens of thousands of hours in film rooms and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but when you have a, a great defense, you know, defense can get you out of trouble or can save you from uh, having the other team, you know, put up a ton of points against you. So uh, I think, like anybody else, they have a, a, a great chance of going out here and finishing uh, number one. Uh, but, you know, I think the big test is uh, this week, you know, getting through Penn State. If they don't get through that, then. You know, we're not even having this conversation next week. And uh, you know how it is. You know, somebody, when you get a chance to crack the number one player and you're a real good team and, you know, you can compete against them, you're, you're going to try to spoil their season. And, you know, so uh, Penn State has always, always been a tough one for the last, I don't know, three, four, five years. James Franklin uh, definitely does something to his guys to get them going. And so I keep up with them uh, like anybody else. You, you think they can really do it because they're playing at a high level. Uh, but I'm just one of those old school guys. You got to take the game by game. Now you played in one of the biggest college football games ever, the 2003 Fiesta Bowl. Was there pass interference on that play? <laughs> uh, now, give me a real, real opinion here. Was it pass interference? Well, I, listen, the ref threw the flag. So look, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, I, so look, I said, I said it's the same way I told those guys from Miami, right? When we get up there and play. The only thing we can't control is the referee, right? So no matter how I feel about it, we still have to play up under the circumstances. And I, and I will say this, and I respectfully say it, Miami, they obviously had, man, they had some legendary college football players. I'm 36 years old. If anybody is close to that age on this call, everybody knows the guys that they had. They had a legendary team who a bunch of guys oh, yeah. went on to the NFL and, and did a bunch of great things. But I, I would always say this, if y'all are that much better than us, there shouldn't been a conversation. You know, the year before they beat, like, Nebraska, like, 60-something to nothing. And it, it comes down to this. If we were bombs, if this wasn't supposed to happen, you should have beat us. But this is football. Like, anybody can beat anybody any day. It doesn't matter who's the best team or who feels who's the best team. At some point, you have to get in there and you have to prove it. And uh, I've always been taught since high school, you have to be able to outplay bad refereeing. And they didn't do it, and, and we did it. And, and what, this, this is what happens. People have looked at the careers of the guys who have played on Miami, and they've seen, like, man, they had a better team. And they looked at all the, the pump and all the pompous and all the other stuff, and they looked at those guys from that. But on that day, uh, we got them. You know, and that's all that matters. And, and you can take that field goal. You can take a bunch of stuff. We can all argue calls. Uh, but that's just to make everybody feel better about what happened. But that day, that night, just like, here we go, prime example. My favorite fighter of all time is Mike Tyson, right? Now, everybody knows he's a better <laughs> yeah. fighter than Buster Douglas, right? But yep. one thing that you can't yep. dispute, or one thing that you can't say is that Buster Douglas got him that night. And that was it. And so Mike Tyson can say whatever he wants to. And I was with Mike Tyson last week. My idol, I love this dude, right? But 
that night, it must have done when he got him, so you kind of got to live with it. And Miami has to live with that one. Man, you Youngstown guys, you got to get boxing into every conversation. They don't do. You? <laughs> boom, boom, Mancini, Kelly Pavlik, listen, <laughs> Jeff Lampton. I love, listen to me, young Youngstown yep, is boxing town, but uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, like I said, I'm loving life. I, I appreciate you all for even uh, putting me on this platform. I appreciate anybody who uh, even considers to, uh, to purchase a book. The whole deal for it is to start a residential facility for student athletes. Um, and, you know, I just, I just, I just love the fact, oh, they can, they can grab the books on my website, mauricecorretonline.com. I ship them out. I'll have my team ship them out. I'll autograph them all, put them out there. But every, uh, book, the, the, uh, the, 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 the of every book goes to, uh, the building, the facility. We're going to build it here in Columbus, Ohio. Even if we don't build it, we'll buy an existing structure and, and repurpose it. But we do this right now. So it's not like some, uh, pilot sky shooting dark sort of deal. This is something that we do already, but this is hopes that we can get something just dedicated and focused around uh, young student athletes and we can basically help guys who happen to be in a situation that, you know, they just need some assistance in. We love it, man. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, everything you're doing is amazing, so so thank you for, for giving back. All right, thank you all for having me. All right, man. That's all the time we have, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, anytime you have something going on, shoot me a text. You know, we're happy to get you back on or happy to promote it for you. So just uh, you got my number. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you all for having me. Have a great rest of the evening. 